Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue in the book of Genesis, which is God's book of beginnings. But what happened before Genesis? Let's look at that today with Tom. Before in the beginning. So here it is, 1 Peter 1, 19-20. And now follow along with me. It says, But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, what was manifest in these last times for you. So what is he talking about? When it says before the foundation of the world, that's before in the beginning. He knew that man was going to sin in the garden. He knew that. And God was so excited about the plan, the wonderful plan that it was going to be realized here to save sinners. Then he started to work on the plan before the in the beginning. That's a promise. That's a very, very, that's a promise that if you as a sinner believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will have eternal life. Very simple contract. Contracts are very, very important. One party usually draws up the contract. Every contract has four essential, at least four essential parts. I mean, after you talk about the parties. Now, the first one of the contract is the preamble. The preamble or the background, that gives you what this is all about, and it kind of paints a picture, and it shows you why you need this contract in the first place. Now, the second part is that the the contract then says the parties are willing. The parties are willing to enter into this contract. And then there's the third part, which is the contract itself, what it is. And finally, there's the signature line. Now, God has done all this. He's drawn up the contract, and he put the, he, he, he put, it's interesting, he put the preamble in Isaiah 1. Turn to Isaiah 1, Isaiah chapter 1. This is God's preamble for his, his contract. Now, follow along here, Isaiah 1, chapter, uh, Isaiah 1 verses 2 through 19. All right, here, here's, here's what God says. And think about the contract. So here we go. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. So there's a lot of people listening to this contract. Preamble here right now. For the Lord has spoken, I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. What's that mean? I got bad kids. Okay. The ox knoweth his, a- his owner, and the ass his, his master's crib, but Israel doth not consider, my people doth not consider. What's that mean? My kids are dumber than donkeys, and they're prejudiced. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backwards. What does that mean? My kids are not only bad, they make other people bad. Why should you be stricken anymore? You'll revolt again, more and more. The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there's no soundness in it. Wounds, bruises, putrefying sores. They've not been closed up. They've neither been bound up, neither mollified with ointment. What's that mean? My kids are uncorrectable. They're incorrigible. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land and strangers devour it in your presence. It's desolate. It's overthrown by strangers. And the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage and a vineyard, as a lodge and a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. What's that mean? My kids are in such terrible state. They have, they've been punished and punished and punished to the part where they're pitiful, and it breaks my heart. And I'm looking at their state. That's what he's saying. Except the Lord of Sabaoth had left unto us very small remnant. We should have been as Sodom and should have been as like unto Gomorrah. What's that? Unless there was an infinitesimal 
number of my kids who repented and followed me, I would have destroyed them all. I would have just wiped them out. Then he says, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I'm full of the burnt offerings of rams and this fat fed beast, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. When you come to appear before me, who required this, all this? at your hand to tread my courts. It's like God saying, I don't remember counting out 613 laws. What's this mean? He's saying, many of my kids are very religious. They're very, very religious, vain, vainly. And then God says, bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with it. It is iniquity. He's saying it's sin. Even the solemn meeting, your new moons, your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I'm weary of them. What's he saying? I hate the religion of my kids. And when you spread forth your hands, I'll hide my eyes from you, God says. Yea, when you make many prayers, I won't hear. So God's like this, and God's like this. He says, I won't hear. What's he saying? I'm not even going to hear my children anymore. Your hands are full of blood, he says. Wash you. Make you clean. This is now God giving what you need to do. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. See, stop to do evil. Learn. Reprogram. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. What is he saying here? My kids are dirty. And they need to be totally, totally reprogrammed. Totally reprogrammed. Now, that's a preamble to the contract, okay? So you could put in the beginning of this passage, which was read, for as much as, or in as much as, God writing. For as much as my kids are bad, dumber than donkeys, corruptors, uncorrectable, incorrigible, dirty, pitifully punished, and yet religious. And for as much as, 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 as I, as God, will have every one of them to be saved. And I'm not willing that any of them should perish. We've just painted the picture of as bad they are. I'm not willing that any of them should perish. I do hereby invite them, in verse 18, and that's where we're coming to, to make my contract. So here's the invitation, verse 18. All of that in view, come, come now, he says. Let's sit down together at the contract table. Let's reason together, saith the Lord. On your side, your sins, they're scarlet. I know that. But with this contract, they can be as white as snow. White as snow. That's wonderful. He said, on this side, he says, they're red like crimson, but they can be as wool. Oh, he says in verse 19, if, you're will- if you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. That's my contract. He said, this is the preamble, this is the invitation. It's not the contract yet. So then, you have to keep on reading through the book of Isaiah until you get to chapter 53, verse 10. Turn to that, please. Isaiah 53, 10, and you get the contract. Here's the contract in Isaiah 53, 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He, who? The Lord. Hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see a seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. That's the contract. The word 
when, you see the word when, when thou shalt make his, so it's not a bad word, when, it's okay. But in the Hebrew, it's the word im, which means if. So that's a contract, if. Contracts have ifs. If, God the Father. So he says the contract is, God the Father has bruised God the Son, actually put him to death on a cross. And if, that's the word im, if you put your guilt on his soul, then God promises three benefits in this contract. Benefit number one, he'll make you a child. You're my son, you're my daughter, you're my child of God. Second, he says, is this death, don't worry about that. I'm going to prolong your days. I'm going to give you eternal life. And third, I'll use you in life. And I'm going to have God's pleasure prosper in your hand. Your hand, God's going to pleasure. It's a very, very simple contract. He says, I, you know, he comes to the contract. Says, I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. I put my whole faith, my whole trust in the goodness of God who gave his son, his only son, spoken about here in Isaiah 53, the Lord Jesus Christ who died for my sins. I'll become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God for giving me, for, for forgiving me and making me his child, giving me what I don't deserve, eternal life, and using me in life. Sign, sign there, sign. That's what God's saying. Sign, sign. That's the contract. And he pushes that contract across the table to every man with the empty signature line, and he waits to see who's going to sign the contract. Only he has an advantage because he knows who's going to sign the contract because he's God. But he drew up that contract for every person. He didn't just draw up the contract for you. He didn't just draw up the contract for me. He's drawn it up for every person. Because he made every person. And he loves every person. And so how do you know that there's a contract for every, per- for every person? Because that's what it says in 1 Timothy 2.4. Who will have all men, everyone, to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Okay, and Second Peter three nine, where it says the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slack, slackness, but is long suffering. He suffers a long time. He, he's very patient. To us, word, he's not willing that anyone should slip through the cracks. He's not willing that anyone should perish. He's not willing that anyone should slide off the deck of the Titanic. He is not willing for that. He, is, he wants all, everyone, should come to repentance. Those verses mean that God has filled out a contract, a promise of life contract for every person. Already has got their name on it, already signed by God, just waiting. The thought of a sinner dying, God cries out, no, give him another chance. Give him another chance. A little bit longer of life. Don't let the sinner die yet. Don't let that sinner die yet. Again, more leading him to repentance. More, more. Let's see if he repents. Let's see if he signs a contract. So Romans 8.29 says, Whom he did foreknow. He knew in the, before the beginning who's going to sign the contract. And he knew who was going to say, No, I don't want to sign. And he's not forcing anyone to sign that contract. That decision is totally up to the person. But... For those that he knew who would sign the God's contract and become one of the sheep of the Lord Jesus Christ, God started to work for their benefit before the in the beginning. 
before the foundation of the world. He starts working for their, why? Because that's the kind of God he is. He is really excited about redemption, so much so, he doesn't sit there and say, well, let's see, we'll just wait till time comes, and we'll, we'll do something for him. No, 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 from the beginning. Now turn to Ephesians 1, 4 through 5, and we're going to see one of the things that God did, what God was doing before Genesis 1, 1, for in the beginning, and that's Ephesians 1, 4 through 5. Now here it says, it says this, Ephesians 1, 4 through 5. According... As he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that would be the before in the beginning. So let's see what he chose us for. That we should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. You shall see his seed, remember? By By Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. God was so excited about what he, was, what he knew, who he knew was going to choose and sign the contract, he actually wrote down their names before they even did it. He wrote down their names. He called that, that book, he wrote it down in Revelation 17, he called it that, uh, a book of life. He said he wrote it down there before Genesis 1.1. He was so excited about the contract and who had signed it that he just couldn't wait. And so he, he, he said, this is going to be really good, is what God's saying. This is going to be really good, and so I'm going to plan for them, and I'm going to predestinate that they should. I'm going to chart out their course. They're going to be holy. How are they going to be holy? I'm going to give them a new heart. So it's not going to be the external, oh, I've got to do this. It's going to be the internal, I want to do this. He says, I'm going to give them a new heart. I'm going to make them excited about doing the right thing. And then I'm going to make them blameless. How are you going to do that, God? I'm going to, watch me, I'm going to clothe them in the righteousness of the, right, the only righteous man who ever lived. My son, the man, the Lord Jesus Christ. His righteousness, I'm going to clothe them in that. And so they're going to be before me blameless. Blameless? Blameless. Faultless? No, not faultless. Not quite faultless. But blameless. Blameless. And <clears throat> he said, then I'm going to adopt them as my child. I'm going to say to them, welcome home. I'm your new father. How about that? You know, I, like my 15-year-old Ethiopian pal who's in heaven now, Temeskin. Remember I told you about him? He died from bone cancer. But he was adopted by Mary Louise and Bruce Cohen. <laughs> and he became Temeskin Cohen. Okay? And, and they ended up with three white children and one Ethiopian. Didn't quite look the same, but didn't matter. Because I still remember when I was over at their house, and how shocked I was when Temeskin came up to Mary Louise Cohen and said, Mom. And when he came up to Bruce Cohen and said, Dad. I just, I was like, oh, you know. Oh, yeah, I guess that's what happened. That's what happens when you adopt somebody, right? And that scene and that feeling is exactly what, what God, what, what way it is with us. We call God Dad. We call him Papa. We call him Dad. And God did not predestinate who was going to sign the contract. That's the glory of it all. We believe, we signed the contract, knowing who would sign the contract. He just couldn't wait, just predestinating all these great things to happen for them. And he went into action. And man believes God on his own. That's what man does. He just believes, man on, uh, believes God on his own, and God saves that man 
following believing. And he charts a new course for his life. He gives him righteousness of Christ. He predestinates or gives him a purpose of being holy. And wonderful things happen. He chose us to be holy without blame. He decided to adopt us. He decided to save us when we called on him. He did not predestinate us to believe, but he knew who would believe. Yesterday we spoke about humility and pride when it comes to accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as creator. Is this whole issue with pride and humility one of choice or is it all about the hand you're dealt in life? What is there in the history of the Jewish people, Tom, that illustrates the issue of how pride and humility impacts accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as creator? One of the greatest histories in the Jewish people was the history of their deliverance from the land of Egypt. It was so long. It was 400 years of being in bondage. You know, one time I sat next to a, uh, an Egyptian man on a plane and, and I said to him, I said, oh, you're from Egypt. And I didn't tell him I was Jewish. I just said, you know, my people spent a long time in your country as guests, as a matter of fact. He goes, oh, really? I said, yes, it, re- it went very well at first. Said we uh, we had a very nice place to live. It was the land of Goshen. Thank you very much, and we were treated just royally by uh, the Pharaoh at that time. It was really good. As a matter of fact, one of our people had a very high position in the government. And I said, but you know, I don't know if we wore out our welcome, but things uh, deteriorated a little bit, and. Uh, after a while, well, um, you know, we, there was, uh, we, we built things for you. We built pyramids. Uh, I'm not sure we were really uh, 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 properly compensated for how much we worked and what we did there. But in the end, it all worked out. We, we actually got, got sort of back pay when we left. And uh, he didn't know who what I, was, what I was talking about. And I said, in fact, um, uh, we left and uh, we were a little discontent and we left and... Um, there was actually a whole book written about our leaving, and it was called The Leaving. And uh, it was called uh, Exodus, and, and he still didn't get it. And I said, and we had a very famous leader that brought us out, and that was Moses. And then he understood who I was talking about. So anyway, the, the, the whole history of the Jewish people in Egypt is, uh, is very, very significant. And one of the things that happened is recorded for us in Exodus chapter 10, verse 3. When Moses and Aaron came in to Moses, I mean to Pharaoh, they came to Pharaoh and they, they, they represented God. So here were these two Jewish men, Moses and Aaron, they're standing before the great ruler of the most powerful nation on the earth, Egypt, Pharaoh, a Gentile, and they're speaking for God And they say to him, and this is the way the verse reads, and Moses and Aaron come in unto Pharaoh and said unto him, thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews. Now, what is Pharaoh hearing? He's hearing that these are the spokesmen for the Lord God of the Hebrews. What was the real situation? This is not only the Lord God of the Hebrews, this is his Lord God and all of his idols that he's been worshiping, the sun God and and the animals and so forth, those are no gods. Those are false gods. Those are idols. Those are no gods. 
So he's really hearing from his maker. In other words, Moses and Aaron are representing his maker. The Lord God of the Hebrews is his maker. Who is that Lord God of the Jewish people? That's the Lord Jesus Christ also. Only he hasn't stepped out into flesh at this point. So the Lord God of the universe, the Adon Alom, and he has a question. And the question is, how long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me? In other words, God is saying, Pharaoh, he sent Moses and he sent Aaron. He says, Pharaoh, I got my watch out and I'm timing you, Pharaoh, and I'm wanting to know exactly how long do I have to wait for you to stop this pride? How long, Pharaoh, are you going to refuse to humble yourself before me? It's a very, very scary thing. It's a very, very scary question. I mean, here is, here is the maker of all. God, the Adonalam, the Lord God of the Hebrews. Here's the judge of all the earth. And he's saying, you're wearing out my patience, Pharaoh. And I'm sitting here timing and I'm wondering exactly how long are you going to personally refuse to humble yourself before me? He says, let my people go that they may serve me. Have you ever asked yourself the question, I hope God's not doing that with me. Is God sitting there with me and he's got a timer and he's sitting there and he's asking, how long are you going to refuse to humble yourself before me? You see what he's saying there? He's saying humbling yourself or being humble is a choice. It's a choice. You accept to humble yourself or you refuse to humble yourself. In the case of, of Pharaoh, God was saying to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, you have made the wrong choice. You have chosen to refuse to humble yourself before me. And God's saying, God's saying through, through indirectly through Pharaoh, through, through uh, Moses and Aaron, he's saying, Pharaoh, can I give you some counsel here? Stop this. Stop refusing to humble yourself. All that you've seen, plagues, great miracles on the parts of my servant, you know what those are? Those are the reasons why you should humble yourself. You know what you're doing, Pharaoh? You're hardening your heart, and you're saying, I don't care. I'm going to refuse to humble myself. And God's saying, Pharaoh, start to care. Take it into consideration. And humble yourself. You know what God's saying to each one of us? When you look at the marvels of creation, you look at a sunrise, you look at the beauty of it all, the trees, your body, the way it all works, you know what all that is? Information that you should humble yourself before the great creator. Humble yourself. No longer stop the refusing to humble yourself and humble yourself before the great truth, the Lord Jesus Christ is the creator. He's the judge. Humble yourself under that truth. Don't refuse any longer to humble yourself. In the case of Pharaoh, 
Moses and Aaron were representing God and they were saying, how long will you refuse to humble yourself? And how long are you gonna refuse to let my people go that they may serve me? Well, you know what? Unfortunately, in the case of Pharaoh, he never did choose to humble himself. So a great disaster happened and he was destroyed in the Red Sea. He and his whole army was destroyed in the Red Sea. May it never be so for any of us. May in our lifetimes we take the decision, each one of us, to use the choice that God has given to us and humble ourselves before the glory, the majesty, the power of the Lord Jesus Christ as creator and savior. That's what God wants us to do. Choose to humble yourself. Thank you for joining us today. Tomorrow, Tom will continue our study from the Bible as our foundation for our friendship with God. If you'd like to learn more about Tom Cantor or Israel Restoration Ministries, visit our websites at friendshipwithgod.org or israelrestoration.org. There you'll find more resources to help you with your friendship with God. If you'd like to contact Tom Cantor, send an email to tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 1-800-247-3051. Join us again tomorrow as we continue in the book of Genesis. Genesis.